Welcome to the Golf Intervention Podcast. This is episode three. My name is Eric Layton, and I'm alongside my co-host, Rob Fales. We are two of Golf Digest's best teachers, and we are here to help you play better golf. I hope you'll go back and listen, if you haven't, to the to the first two episodes. Really, episode one, kind of just an intro, get to know Eric and Rob a little bit. Um, episode two starts off this series, which we're really excited about, and we're going to get to the, to the second part of that today. And before that, how are we doing today, Rob? You having a good day? Having a great day, yeah. Didn't teach today, just was home with the wife and the one-year-old. So we're just kind of getting into what we can get into. But no, had a great, had a great one. How about you? Uh, yeah, busy day. Meetings at the school. Kids are kids are getting ready to go back to school. I have four kids, and this year I'll have one in college, one in high school, one in middle school, and one in elementary school. So oh that gosh. seems like a lot to manage. <laughs> so all the back to school nights and all the all the fun stuff. The college student is out of the house uh, first year. Big thing. And uh, tonight, the middle schooler, probably the second biggest thing, uh, going up to middle school. So we had her little meeting at the school tonight. It was fun. But uh, anyway, we're getting on the pod a little bit late. But I uh, I wanted to kind of go back in time to sort of how we ended with a little discussion on episode one. And I hope you, I hope you have listened to that if you're listening to this. Um, we're in sort of part two now of a series about – the reasons why we feel like golfers kind of get stuck in their performance, you know, people get better to a point and then they seem to plateau and that plateau, you know, give or take a little, little bits forward, little steps back can last, you know, the whole golf career. A long we, time. <laughs> we see that it goes on and on and on. So, um, this is, this is episode two, episode one. We were kind of talking about how you assess your game and make a plan. thought that was pretty good. We talked a lot about assessment. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. It was a lot of data. It was a lot of what is significant, what is relevant for you as a level one versus a level two versus a level three golfer. Um, and now we're getting a little bit more into the, uh, to the meat and potatoes of it. Yeah. And so we defined, um, which I think this is a little bit unique to what we're doing on this podcast is we defined three levels of player. Um, you know, you can call them, you know, we call them level one, two, and three. It's really about um, being a beginner golfer to a point um, to where you can kind of break 90-ish, somewhere in that area. And then you become an intermediate golfer, and this is where a lot of golfers hang out, until you become an elite golfer, which we said was 76 scoring average or better, I believe, right? Correct. Correct. Um, which is really, really good player. So we think there's basically, this is what we'll be laying out, that there's a there's a process to moving on from one through, kind of through one phase to the next level. And we think we have defined some things that are very important, some skills to work on and the times to work on them. And one of the things uh, we sort of talked about in the last episode was we were talking about at the end um, as a beginner golfer. And I was really kind of alluding to I'm a complete beginner golfer. And I said for putting, I really was just sort of boiling it down to distance control. Like I didn't want them thinking about things like reading greens too much or aiming or hitting their ball on their line too much. What I really wanted them, their very first introduction to putting was just trying to hit it, you know, the right distance and try to practice that. Um, And you had alluded to, you know, we've got to start getting the ball on the right side of the hole eventually, right? So kind of your point was to get to level two, I think, we've got to start picking us out of the hole, starting it on that, side of the hole and probably high enough on that side of the hole to really limit 
the three putts that we have, correct? Correct. Yeah. So it's more of a conversation of you're you're on the front end of level one versus you're on the back end of level one. If you're on the very 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 front end of level of level one, most of putting is going to be a distance control game. You're going to be three putting. Uh, you're not going to make very many putts from seven to twenty feet. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, right. <laughs> you're, I'm sorry, uh, I laughed. I was just picturing. I know you're you're seeing the same thing right now. You got that beginner golfer clinic okay it yes. doesn't matter if it's a junior woman lady man doesn't matter i've never putted before and you hand him a putt and you say okay we're gonna putt this from three feet here's the hole how far do they hit that putt it it, it goes <laughs> i mean i've i've seen it all i mean i've seen them roll it 20 feet i've seen them get it halfway there it's Correct. I mean, it, it's a distance control game for the for like you said for the very very beginner kind of intro level one Right, um, but then if you want to progress through level one and get to the end of level one, maybe even bordering level two, kind of what I was alluding to earlier, is that the most important thing for green reading for a level one golfer is simply starting the ball on the high side, and then for lag putts, making sure that we're not uh, on the low end of that spectrum, so that we're playing enough break. Um, and then if you want to look more into that, you can go back to the episode. I think. We had an intro episode, and then we had episode one, which is where we're talking about assessing a game. So you can go back and listen to episode one if you want to learn more about if you start a, start the ball a foot high or a foot low of the quote-unquote optimal start line, what will happen. So I wanted to give go back and talk about that illustration because this is what we're all about here. You can start to see the progression. And a, and a thing in golf that I don't feel like is thought about enough – or discussed enough um, and practiced enough is this idea of mastery or sort of mastering a skill, at least to the level of player that I'm on. So if I'm watching Tiger Woods putt circa 2001 on TV um, and think I'm going to learn how to do that, um, wrong. Okay. And I don't need to learn how to do that <laughs> if I'm really almost anybody that plays golf, right? especially someone that's just learning. So you can look at Tiger Woods making everything for a stretch of time and go, okay, I need to learn how to putt. What are the three skills in putting? I need to read the green. I need to start the ball and roll it down my intended target line, and I need to have great distance control, right? So there's my three. I can't learn them all at once, and I don't need to learn them all at once because then we start bogging down the system, in my opinion. So what I try to do with my students, and I think the effort that we're trying to talk about is let's pick something. Let's pick the first thing, the most important thing, the next step in the process, and work towards mastering it and mastering it at a level that's important for us, right? So a, a level one mastering of distance control versus a level two player mastery of distance control is very different. And I don't, I don't have all that data probably in front of me right this second, but um, I know that tour players, elite players are really good at controlling their distance when they want to within about 10% of the total distance on their lag yep. pots, right? Yes. Well, a beginner golfer is not going to be there. Maybe they're 20%. I don't know. But what we want to try to do is say, I want to get really competent at that. Then I'm going to start working on trying to figure out, and, and probably along the way, I'm going to start figuring out, hey, there's hills here, and the ball doesn't roll straight, right? These are things that you observe as you get better, right? So, 
hey, if I hit at the right speed, but it's rolling away from the hole because I don't have it on the slope the right way, now I'm going to have to learn how to aim that. So I think yeah. these skills build upon themselves as you go one from another. So that's one of the big things that we're trying to to talk about in our whole series, right? So that doesn't really pertain to today's episode, but I wanted to give that visual, um, that idea, that concept out there of mastery, because that's what we're all about here. We want you to take it on, master it to the point that you need to before you take on too many other things. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. And I'm going to take it a little bit more, take that same concept into a little different realm, uh, kind of previewing our intention versus attention episode. You can only really place your attention on a, a finite number of things. You can't think about everything that you need to do to hit a golf shot. So I think what we're alluding to here is we want to place your attention on the most relevant pieces for you and then allow the other skills to backfill more subconsciously or more um, almost athletically, not yeah. necessarily you trying to think about these things. But I guarantee if Eric, if you told someone to go out there and say, okay, I'm going to play every putt straight, I'm sure by the fifth or sixth hole, <laughs> they're going to start, you know, aiming it, starting it, towards the high side just because of survive just because of adaptation you know that you're going to see a couple go way low and you're like oh that might not be a great thing so even though that they're not necessarily thinking about it they're probably going to adapt at least to some degree um and so we need to appreciate the fact that some of these skills can be learned more implicitly and we need to to choose wisely which ones we start to develop explicitly or or more consciously, if that makes sense. I love it. And so that's where, again, we're just trying to be sort of a guide along the process for you learning anything, really, but golf being a difficult sport with lots of different facets to it, that what we're saying is focus on what matters. It's very easy to say, man, I'm bad at putting. I'm going to go pick up the Dave Pell's putting Bible, okay? (laughs) Okay. And uh, I'm not suggesting anyone do that, by the way. But it's easy to do that. We want to get better. And then all of a sudden, it's 20 things that I'm thinking about and looking at and speed and all. And granted, you want to get good at all those as you progress to your best level of yourself. But what what Robbie just said, the most important thing, too, is this, this sort of subconscious, implicit, athletic survival mode. We're all we're all wired for that. So these things can come out of us as we go. And so that's why I kind of go, just wanted to paint that picture of what of what we're all about here. So I thought that was really well said by you, Robbie. I'm glad you uh, kind of sort of phrased it that way. I thought that was yeah. perfect. So anyway, let's go on to today's episode, which is I think we were just discussing off air, probably on our on our series here. Maybe it's the not the most important thing for sure that we're going to talk about, but it's one that if you don't get right, can be very, very detrimental. And that's understanding the importance of having the proper equipment for you in your golf game. So I think uh, that club fitting and getting into the right set of clubs Really, we'll talk mostly about clubs today because I know we'll bring in things like golf ball that you're playing, shoes, even outerwear, stuff like that's really important as well as far as equipment goes. But we're talking about this today. We're talking about golf clubs. So I think um, just as an introduction to what we're talking about, 
Um, data really is the guider for all of our sort of decisions we've made between you and I on this process of helping people get better. So, Rob, I don't have this in front of me. I should have because I meant to look it up. It's not in my notes. But I think off the top of my head, I'm pretty close on this. You may know the answer. If I were to hit the ball um, 25, 20 to 30 yards longer, let's call it 20 yards longer because I think Mark Brody talks about a 20-yard gain in his book. What is the score? Like if nothing else changes – doesn't your scoring average go down by several several strokes? If for I guess for a tour player, yes. um, it's like one and a half strokes per. Yeah, 18, I don't have the like actual that. number in front of me, but it's pretty highly correlated. Yeah. As you hit it further, your scores go down. And it's not necessarily meaning that you hit it straighter, but it's just that you hit it longer. Now, that was talking about, I think, tour player on that end too. Okay, so that's why yes. a lot of tour. Now, when you're talking about percentage of distance, if I hit it, 280 and go to 300 that's a lot different than the story that i'm about to tell which was in a lesson the other day um and i think i may have told this story on the last one to kind of introduce this this kind of um this kind of this episode but gentleman came in was fit brand new clubs okay not fit by our team but he's just new member came in um and he asked me about how he needed to get more club head speed i thought well let's look at the club head speed so um, he hit one drive and it went, he told me he hit it at 200, 215. He did hit it. I think it was 212 or 215. And I looked up and his driver speed was 97 and I almost fainted because I thought this guy, yeah. I, I got to get him on the right track because I know what he needs to work on right now is not speed. Okay. This is a, this was a 65 year old white T player moving to, moving to senior T's pretty soon. Okay. So speed was there for him. And so I looked at his equipment and I said, oh my gosh. So he was, the fit wasn't right. Now, granted, his swing could have changed. I'm not, there's no blame game here. All I'm saying is I went to the other room, to our fitting studio. I put together a different head with different loft, different launch characteristic, different shaft. And the first swing went to, I think it was 247, somewhere around there. Yeah. And, and also, by the way, he was going to hit that club way straighter. Okay, so his dispersion, I guarantee, this was not about hitting it longer. It was longer and straighter. Yeah. So the effect on his game was going to be huge, correct? Yes. Can you share what the, what the change was? So he had a high launch, and I'm trying to remember which head exactly it was. Um, it was a tailor-made head. Um, it, was, it was their higher launching head in the Stealth 2 line. Um, and... I believe they had him in 10.5 degrees set up on the loft and then in a 50-gram regular kind of like mid to high launching mm. shaft, one of their stock options. So we went um, – and, and he was just launching it way too high with way too much Spinning spin. Spinning it too much, yeah. yeah. So I got him a 9-degree um, TSR2 Titleist with a just a Tensei Blue 55 stiff. And very first swing it was – you know, wow. and that was just me just pulling one off the shelf, you know, and I do a lot of fitting. So I, I'll probably talk about that a little bit today. Um, but so I can kind of obviously when you fit every single day, you can you can kind of see what what types of stuff that they need pretty quickly. So anyway, the point being, he was going to play way better. It wasn't going to be a little bit better. It was going to be way better because it was going to be 30 yards and better dispersion pattern. So and then. Probably the most important part, and this is why if you get it wrong, it's a struggle, the psychology of 
what is it that I need to work on? Okay, because he had the concept, I need to hit, I need more speed. And the fact of the matter was he had speed to burn for his level of player and his goal set. Okay, what he needed was the driver that fit him better. So I think that when we talk about this, again, equipment, equipment is if it's right, it's going to help you. It's going to help you with what you need based on your level of player, which will go in here. But it will also give you the feedback that you need during your learning, right? During your training to know, hey, I'm doing this right. Or maybe I'm not doing it. Is that ball curving because I'm putting a bad swing on it? Or is it some other something else that I'm doing? Or is it because my equipment isn't any good, right? And Or doesn't fit me, correct? So that is something that I think is so important. And I think the amateur golfer in level one and level two, not level three, completely underestimates this. Mm. So level one player, we, we defined this in the last episode, I believe, that we feel like the biggest concern for them, the biggest consideration is just making good contact with the ball. The scoring consideration for them is limiting the strokes you know, from the tee to the green. So... And when they when they're not hitting it and getting you know and having those disruptor shots, it's because they're not hitting it well. They're not making good contact with it. So, if I'm a level one player, I need to have the most forgiving head that I can find. Okay, as far as the design of the head, I need that to be something I can hit with good distance. Height of the shot is really going to be dependent, and spin is going to be dependent upon how much speed I have. Okay, but Really, we've got to cover ground from A to B as efficiently as we possibly can. So to me, that's sort of what the level one player needs. Now, as you as you get into a level two player, I'm going to give you the generalities here first, and then we'll, we'll kind of get awesome. into the, the more specifics. Number two, the level two player. You're going to... You're going to start having a more playable head. You know, like it doesn't have to be sort of a hybrid set or one of those really high launching, super game improvement heads. But you do need to start thinking about optimizing your shot dispersion a little bit more, right? This is where proximity, as we were talking about last time, proximity comes in to play a little bit. And I would say that in this level, the thing that sort of the thing that holds up a player, whether it's driver or irons or whatever, is that they. If they get fit and it's not great for them, it's because they're working with equipment that optimizes their best shot but doesn't really offset the negative pieces of their bad shot, right? So we need to, we're going to hit both good shots and plenty of bad shots as a level two player. And so we need to have both a great club that fits me for my best shots but also mitigates my disastrous shots. Do you see that with your players in that level, Robbie? No, without a doubt. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lateral dispersion game for these players. Like, how can we bring that lateral dispersion in as much as possible? The the horizontal, the right left stuff for sure. And so equipment comes into that, and so and we'll get into that a little bit deeper. And then the level three player, um, level three is all about always about optimization. This it's always about having the the right stuff that sort of controls the shot dispersion the way I need to. It gets me the shot shape that I need and desired most consistently. It gets me the spin that I need um, for, for both in drives and on iron shots where I can place the ball on the greens the way that I want to. Um, and I think that because that elite player 
makes good contact such a high percentage of the time, you're going to see them playing less forgiving clubs. And sometimes people question that, like, why would that be? Why, would, why wouldn't they just play the easiest ones to hit? Well, the, the truth is those super game improvement clubs that are very easy to hit are giving you distance um, and a trajectory and a spin sort of characteristic that a level three player, because of how they hit the ball, just doesn't need. They don't need the extra distance. They don't need the lower launch angle, and they don't need lower spin. Um, what they need is something that actually spins it just the way they need it to spin. Okay, so then there's a right. lot of different variations to that. So that's kind of the idea between level one, two, and three as far as just generally what they're looking to get out of the clubs. Correct, and and I'm not sure if this is the right time in the podcast to share this, but a really, really cool nugget that came from Ping, I believe, was that um, when you look at some of the like the blade irons where the center of gravity is really, really far forward, they actually saw improved face-to-path variability with the with kind of the more traditional style irons relative to the game improvement ones, which I thought it was just completely blew my mind that having the CG more forward, more kind of in line with the shaft, like if you think of like a Titleist MB or a Ping Blueprint, relative to like a T200 or a I500, they saw improved face-to-path variability. So a tighter dispersion in the face-to-path with those player, quote-unquote, player's irons, which was just, again, I mean, really, really mind-blowing. So we talk about why these level three players might, gravitate towards those because that's really what they're trying to do they're trying to control their shot patterns in a really really tight window uh, and if they can have something that can reduce the variability in that then you better believe they're going to go for it yeah there's no question ping does some really really cool research um and then they and then they have a i don't know if it's a blog is that right robbie where they post some of this on there i've read they many do. of them um so well, the best it's, thing with ping again just I use the Ping Shaft app for most of my fittings, and I use also the Ping Copilot. So depending on if they're a level one, level two, level three, you can use the Copilot to kind of help build their set and kind of some of the, the specs that they're going to need. Um, and then the Shaft app can get you, I mean, if you have a TrackMan or a, or a Quad, um, you can plug some numbers in and get almost like the Mizuno um I forget what it's called, the Mizuno... um, Shaft Optimizer. The Shaft Optimizer, almost kind of like that, where you get really, really close um, functional options for your players with just plugging in a few data points. I mean, I just... I'm on staff with Ping. I'm a huge Ping fan just because they make my life as a coach much easier. Um, But yeah, I use those two tools, even if you're not on Ping staff. I think they're incredibly valuable tools. Yeah, so I fit lots of Ping as well. I should probably probably preface this because I'm... A little bit of like, uh, it's weird. You and I have so many conversations. We know each other well. And what we don't do well is we don't really uh, talk about ourselves very well. Um, uh, I'm glad you you threw the ping thing out there. And I I love ping as well. I think um, top to bottom, I think Titleist and ping, by far driver through putter are the two, you know, best companies out there i don't don't think it's i don't think it's questionable there's some other really they're all very good by the way so we're great but yeah they're all great i mean they're all great stuff but i mean top to bottom you know you're gonna fit the most people probably in those two brands these days and yes the um 
at the country club here where I work. So I fit I fit clubs basically every day. This was not always a daily part of my job as director of instruction, but with some new facilities and whatnot, I fit pretty much every single day of of the week. Um, and it's a part of the of the job that I've really come to enjoy a lot more. Um, we fit. Um, we're we're a, we're a top 100 fitter for Callaway. We're a Ping Power fitter, so we're one of their their top fitters in the country as well. Um, we also are, I think, regionally this year probably the number one Titleist account. Um, we also do a lot with TaylorMade. We fit Cleveland, Srixon, Mizuno, and Zexio. I don't think I'm missing anyone. So we, uh, you guys we, are ridiculous. <laughs> It's just so, insane. It's it's, but I think that the point being, um, I see a lot with club fitting. I see a lot every day. I see a lot, and, to, and I teach in a studio. You've seen my studio. I teach in the fitting studio most of the time. And I do so that on, good. yeah, I do it on purpose because I love having access to all that stuff during my lessons. Because some of the times I need to really. Sometimes I see things in people swing and think, I bet that's a shaft issue or i bet mm. that's a triangle issue and i can just snap something together and then it it helps me see it differently does that make sense so i've got to almost clear it out oh, of my mind say, i'm not like... trying to i'm not trying to sell you a club but hit this once for me and let me see you know so it really uh oh my gosh yeah like, yeah it really can be very helpful one of the one of the best putter lessons putting lessons i've ever given i just put a different putter in her hand and said let's see what happens and it just like was incredible how quickly things started lining up for her. And it's yeah. like when we talk about making, making interventions <laughs> that are low in intrusiveness, yeah. but high in effect. I mean, you, you can't really do much better than that. Just putting literally a different tool in their hands and it is one of the best ways to make those kinds of improvements for sure. Absolutely. So I think what we're going to do now is take a quick break When we come back, we're going to talk about sort of the main fitting considerations for everybody. Like when you go get fit, what is it that you're doing? So I want you to be, like I said, I want you to be an advocate for your own gain. When you go get fit for clubs, somebody's selling you something. So you got to keep that in mind. And what we're going to do is we're going to give you the tools in the next segment to be able to understand what it is you need for yourself, depending on your game, and make sure you're not getting anything that you don't need. And then we'll kind of go through each level of player and really just talk about the main components of what they need for their improvement. So we'll be right back with uh, segment two here. Welcome back. So in this segment, we're going to talk about the main fitting considerations that you're going to have when you go fit for clubs. And we're, we're going to go through this because when it is time for you to get clubs and you want to get your clubs assessed, which is a very good idea, by the way, with someone that you trust, um, the person that's on the end of the other end of that is is it probably a salesperson in a lot of ways. Sometimes not. Like for me, I, I'm not a salesperson. I have no commission off selling clubs. I'm, I don't know if Rob does or not, but I do um, not either. Yeah. So a lot of times, if it's your golf instructor, they probably are not commission based when it comes to your to your uh, club fitting. So that that's a nice trustworthy person and a lot of club fitters are great even the ones that are making commissions they're trustworthy as well but i do want to make sure that you understand as a listener what are the main fitting considerations that you have so that you make sure that you're not maybe getting sold things that you don't need so the number one most important part of your fitting consideration 
by far, of the clubs that you're going to buy, whether it's driver, fairway wood, hybrid, or iron, is going to be the head design. This yes. is and, – and all the – we hosted the, the National Club Fitting Conference this year put on by PGA Magazine um, at the Country Club. It was really, really a great day. And they had all the top brass in um, from Ping, and they made this point over and over again. It is, it is not the shaft is the engine. It is not this, that, or the other. The absolutely first thing you always have to get right is the head design. And really iron head designs, which we'll talk about sort of – we'll kind of focus around that here. Um, there's four main categories of head design. So we'll start with kind of where the level one player I think would be, and that would be with what they call super game improvement clubs. So if you picture an iron that kind of looks like a hybrid, or maybe it is a hybrid all the way down through, um, that would be, you know, that would be a super game improvement. So Titleist had the T200 or T400, excuse me. Um, super strong loft, super high launching, super fast face. Um, yeah. Cleveland Trickson's been making that sort of hybrid set for a long time. It used to be called the High Bore. I can't remember what's, what they're calling it these days. Yeah, yeah. This would be like the Ping G seven hundred series, right? They did a seven hundred. They did a seven ten. I think has been the most recent one. I think they're coming out with a new one here pretty soon. Yeah, but yeah, the thing is just an absolute rocket launcher. Rocket launcher, and and that's what. And they're very forgiving. They're very high launching off. They have very low center of gravity. They don't spin the ball very much, which limits side spin as well, right? So for that level one player, when you're talking about super game improvement as they get into the into the game, that makes a lot of sense for them because contact is such a variable thing, and and these clubs can save some bad shots. So as as you kind of graduate through that early part of your career, you're going to get into sort of that mid-range iron, which I, a lot of people refer to as just game improvement. Um, I don't know that I ever call it that. I think it's just sort of the middle of the line for most companies. So picture G, G400, G430 and their series, Titleist T300. Um, you got the TaylorMade Stealth in there. Those are those are your your Callaway uh, Rogue or your Paradigm. Like those are your game improvement middle of the road iron that's going to fit. You know a lot of these level two players. As you get into level three, a lot of them are probably not playing that. It's maybe in a long iron here or there, but essentially they're not playing those. Although I would say that if I had to guess, you're talking about. I don't know what percentage of clubs are being played that are just game improved. I would say seventy five percent. Would that make sense? I mean, it's I would it's agree a with that. it's a high high majority. And when you look at the marketing, the marketing centers around that because it's what what most players are going to play that play this game. So that's at level one, back end level one, and all the way through level two, you're in that game improvement iron. A new category of iron they're calling um, players distance iron. And this is sort of a new a new segment of the iron head, probably I would call it four years, five years, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, these are clubs that look blady. They kind of they kind of play like blades in a, in a way. They don't have a lot of offset, um, but there's a lot of technology packed inside the head. So picture P790 or P770 out of TaylorMade. You've got the T200 out of Titleist. Um, the you I got the Apex series, yeah, yeah. You you got it. The Apex would probably fit into there uh, from the Callaway, that really hot um, Apex iron. 
Um, so those are your player's distance. So that's going to be like I play. I personally play a player's distance. Now that I'm aging, and my ball, my club head speed is not what it once was. Um, these help me sort of get it around these longer courses the way that I need it. So they need a little, little hotter off the face. Not crazy though, um, as long as you can manage the spin the right way. So they're 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 that level. And finally, the last head that you can think about is that player's that player's iron head. So. Picture the blade, that butter knife looking club, that fully forged head. Some of them have cavity back for sure. Um, but picture Tiger Woods clubs or Rory McElroy's. That level three player, that elite player, really should be the only one that's in those types of clubs because you need to make really, really good, consistent contact with pretty good club head speed to really be able to play those with any type of consistency. Now, why would a tour player want to play a head that's less forgiving? than anybody else like why would that make any sense well the the reason is there's an optimal there's an optimal ball flight really for all these heads based on who you are and robbie had alluded to this before that ping has a really cool app right now and sort of uh, fitting technology that helps you figure this out and there you're really putting in the characteristic of the player that's in front of you and then it spits out the types of clubs that they need so a tour player Needs to hit the ball with lots of spin, okay, because they're coming into very firm greens. Um, they need they need the ball to go consistently in the same place all the time when hit off the middle of the face. They really need to control that. And, and Ping's study that said, which I had not heard that you alluded to before, it makes tons of sense because I would think the center of masses line up better probably, and then there's less inconsistency as far as flexing in the face goes when hits you know off the middle. And right. so, therefore, the ball is more predictable. And we all know that when we hit blades and we hit them well, I mean, it feels unbelievable. So that's kind of the summary of head design. You can kind of see level one. You know, level two and level three players where they would fit best. And hopefully now maybe you understand a little bit better as to why. Um, the second main component that you're getting fit for is the length, the lie, and the loft. So loft typically doesn't get changed too much except as you're getting into really the hybrids and woods and driver. Um, on irons, we're not typically tweaking loft a lot. I mean, it can happen from time to every now and again. You tweak that a little bit. Um, but most of the time, it's the length and the lie angle. So total length of the club and then the lie angle of the club is really that angle coming out of the club head you know as the shaft kind of protrudes up what is that angle and we actually do custom fit that and that is those two components i think are super important um yeah after absolutely. after the head design what do you think there i think most of the loft changes that you're going to see are just a product of the club head itself right so some club heads are stronger lofted some club heads you can even with certain companies uh, retrospect the lofts, which would be making them uh, actually a little bit weaker depending on what what you're looking for. So very rare that we're ever actually bending clubs weaker or stronger uh, because they've kind of baked that into the equation, right? So typically Correct. your lower lofts are going to be more higher launching, higher ball speeds off the face, that kind of deal. Um, Liangle, I think, is one where my thoughts have changed pretty dramatically over the past four to five years i used to look at things like you know the i used to draw a sharpie line on the golf ball and try to figure out okay you know is it is it coming a little bit toe up a little toe down how's the ground interaction with these different line angles and then now i don't pay attention to that hardly at all it's mostly ball flight related <laughs> if i can correct um, de- depending on the individual if i can use line angle to to make a 
make a ball flight improvement without cost. I think that's the big thing without cost. I think that is a, that's a, that's a big component to, to using Liangle. I think that what we get here, and this is where, um, I don't care what, what brand I'm fitting. I start, I start with the ping, um, wrist to floor measurement and height chart. When we talk about length and line, this is really a geometry situation. Okay. And so a lot of times, and we'll, we're going to get to the level one player here in a second, some of the, some of the concepts that I think are super important, but this is a geometry thing. I mean, we, we bring an anatomy to it and there's a jumping off point here and the lie angle of the iron combined with the length of the iron combined with how tall you are and how long your arms are, um, is a really good <laughs> indicator of, how this all plays out for an individual or how it maybe should play out as you develop your game. Okay. Cause you would think, Oh, I'm a beginner. Do I really, I mean, do I really need fit for lie angle? Every swing is different. That is true. But again, that doesn't solve the geometry problem that's going on here. So if we can get you in a club that let's project some growth in you. Okay. I don't have to fit you for where you stand right now. And this is why I, as a coach, prefer to fit my players is because I can see where they've been, where they are and where they're going. Right. We have a plan for all that. And so I'm not going to get fooled by a certain day when they roll in front of me and I've never met them before. And then they're going to leave and I'm never going to see them again. It just isn't that way. This is an ongoing relationship. So I feel like, and then, you know, and then with TrackMan, I mean, TrackMan's measuring dynamic lie angle, every swing, I basically play this off patterns, right? So it's a geometry thing. It's a pattern thing. It's a ball flight thing. And so we yeah. got to get those right. And length, length of the shaft is probably, it's really important in my opinion. It's really important to get people to be able to make solid contact because that's what we're going back to here. And then as you sort of go into level two player, that really does manipulate the face angle. That's why you were talking about um, fixing the ball flight, right, is – depending on how the lie angle is, it's going to point the face in one direction or another. And it doesn't have to be, there isn't one right answer, but there's, there's a coaching point there and there's a feel point there from the player. And there's also a dispersion pattern point there, which I think is what point you were making. So one, 100%. I think it's, it's almost like if you were to think of the, the wrist to floor, the height measurements is kind of the, the general range of where they need to be. Um, if I get someone who's six five with a wrist of floor of thirty eight, then I know that they're going to be somewhere in that, you know, three degree upright, two degree upright, with you know adding an inch, maybe two inches, in that zone. But depending on what their ball flight is, I might go a little bit more one direction or the other, depending on what they need. Um, yeah. That's just kind of how I view it. I. I I completely agree with Eric. I, I use the static measurements to get in the general ballpark, and then depending on what their ball flights are, I might hedge one way or the other. Awesome. So then we're going to go to, into probably the, the controversial one, which is the shaft here. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> controversial club fitting. <laughs> um, the shaft, 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 shafts have a lot of different components to it, right? And it is, it is an easy selling point. I mean, I think shaft companies sort of, to point out that they're the engine of the club and all this, and it is paramount, very, very important to get a shaft that works for the player and for what they're doing, right? And fitting shafts for drivers has a little different consideration than fitting shafts for irons or woods. I mean, we're not going to get into all the nitty-gritty of that today. Maybe we'll do a little deeper dive into shafts on an episode. But the fact of the matter is, 
You need a shaft that you can swing and that feels good to you and that allows you to make good contact and launches the ball with the right amount of height and spin that you're after and controls your dispersion pattern, okay? So the main characteristics there that people think about are obviously the flex. I mean, everybody, oh, is it a stiff? Do you play a regular? Do I play X? I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> the fact of the matter is that uh, this is one of the dirty little secrets, right? Like, those flexes are all different depending on what brand you're There's no you're industry up. standard. There is no – let me repeat that. There is no industry standard. So I can play an – I promise you I play a 60-gram X-Flex in a graphite design that definitely is probably more flexible than a 6.0 Project X in the in the Black Series, right? Like, So it just it just all depends on how they – sort of package it and sell it and what the what the theories are for the company, right? So shaft is very, very, very important. But I would also say that what happens is shafts have general characteristics. Is it a heavy shaft? Is it a mid-weight shaft? Is it a light shaft? Is it an ultra-light shaft? Um, does it throw the ball high into the air? Does it launch it low? Is it some type of a mid-spin shaft? So these are really the families that we're looking at as far as shafts go. Um, and when you're in a level one to level two player, really, Robbie and I were talking about this, really probably getting the weight of the shaft right and maybe the makeup of the shaft, maybe the height right um, as far as how it kicks it, it's probably the most important thing. I think with TrackMan and if you have a really good fitting studio, you can find something that the player really likes. And that's important to me. So again, I'm always looking at contact. Are they hitting it solidly with the shaft I give them? Mm. If not, I'm asking them an open way to qu- open any question like, "How does that feel to you? Tell me what you like about that. Tell me what you don't like about it. Compare it to the last one that you hit." So, I feel like shafts, um, and this might be the I don't know what to call it controversial, but maybe we're putting too much at times into the individual shaft that we're trying to get or trying to fit somebody into. Um, whereas when a company develops a club and they test it, they're going to get shafts in those clubs that they feel like work best for the clubs that they just designed. Do you think that Ping, an engineering company to the one millionth degree, would ever put a shaft in their club that doesn't that they don't test and say like, wow, that works really well for the club that we're building, right? No chance. There's no chance Ping would do that. Now, some other companies maybe, but not Ping. There's no way. So what we're saying is I don't believe you're ever going to need to get some type of aftermarket shaft. Probably. If you're a level one, definitely level one, probably level two, you're never, ever going to need a shaft that's outside of what the company puts in them as a stock option because they're handpicked by those engineers to work best and test with the clubs that they make. And then your fitter is going to work with you to figure out what weight works best for you, how stiff, how relatively stiff for the club that you're through the shaft that you're trying and how high the, the shaft launches. And then match that with the head that they picked out for you. And boom, you're going to have magic. The biggest thing I would say when it comes to shaft is that regardless of what level player you are, your fitter needs to give you the, entire range of options so it's almost like if you were to think about a science experiment it's almost like you're trying to disprove the null hypothesis i'm trying to i have a hypothesis that my for my 110 mile per hour club head speed that my senior shaft is not going to work 
but it is my duty <laughs> to prove that my assumption is is the case. So it doesn't matter what kind of person I got. I will throw them something that is the most quote unquote flexible that I have, the lightest that I have. I'll throw them some into something that is the heaviest, the stiffest that I have, and I will throw them into something that is very middle ground. And then I will see how they react to those extremes. Um, I will tell you that usually the the hunch is, is, is pretty good, but I've been surprised before. Um, mainly in the area of uh, higher end club head speeds needing softer shafts. This is the one that um, I've been really surprised with over the years is that a lot of high club head speeds really perform well with shafts that are softer than you might think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, really important that your fitter give you that experience of, of just testing it. It, it. You're in a fitting. It doesn't matter. What, what are you, what's, the, what's the point not at least trying it just to prove to you that it's not the, the shaft for you? Um, so if you get to a fitting and they say, they look at your club bed speed and they say, Oh, you know, you're going to be in a stiff run, <laughs> go the other direction because the club head speed has almost, I'm not going to say it has nothing to do with, but it is very, very insignificant when it comes to the shaft properties that you're going to end up with. Um, what I would say is that the, the one re- the, the research that I have seen that has been mostly correlated with shaft flex has been actually the, the transition. So, are you more of like a John Rom, where it kind of really uh, more of an abrupt change of direction where you're really putting a lot of stress on the shaft or are you more of kind of like a Freddie couples where it's a, a bit longer time in transition where it's, it's not bending quite as much. I think you can make some loose correlations uh, when it comes to transition versus shaft flex. But um, I completely agree with Eric uh, regarding weight, general weight, general length, um, those are going to be the the two that you're going to want to make sure that that are um, pretty pretty well fit for you. And then as far as shaft flex, just try the try the spectrum and just figure out what what fits best for you, what feels best, and then what what the performance metrics are, are telling you. Yeah, I think that's 100 percent right because you like I had I had a fitting the other day, and the data data 100 percent showed like. It was a. It was just a driver fitting. It was a great fitting. He got a club. It was perfect for him. And it came down to, was it going to be? This was ping G four thirty. Incredible head, right? Um, was it going to be it's the so reg- straight? Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, incredible. Yeah, G four thirty is the real deal. So and this is coming from a Titleist guy, by the way. TSR is a great is the real deal too. So the G four thirty, and he he had an old ping. He got something else that didn't work. We we came back. We got him the right fit, and. It was going to be between the Alta CB55 regular or the 55 stiff, okay? And the fact of the matter was, like, he hit the regular longer. You know, his longest one was longer. His his shortest one was better. And his shot dispersion was slightly better. He liked the feel of stiff better, so we ordered him stiff. It was, you know, and Perfect. to your point, yep. it was about a psychology thing with him. The one I've loved for 10 years is stiff, okay? We'll go with stiff, sir. Why? Because you want them standing over the ball thinking all positive thoughts, right? Like you would never want to leave them with doubt. So again, you're fitter. It's a relationship. That's a person I've known for 15 years. Like we, we have a relationship. So we're able to figure that out. So like Rob said, yeah. you don't want to be like, oh, this is right for you. Here it is. Da, da, da. That's going to be a bad, that's going to be a bad fitting. Yeah. And also one last thing. I can't imagine 
I just want to say this, that a level one or level two player would ever need a shaft that's some $100, $100, $200 markup. No shot. Aftermarket, whatever. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. So I just wanted to put that out there again. Advocate for yourself. Know that you're you're gonna find a great shaft that's in the matrix from the company. That's why they put them in there. Um, So anyway, that's uh, that's my soapbox there. The other major components. um, We'll just go over these. We're not gonna go. We're not spend time on these. But swing weight and total weight. Those are things. Swing weight is really the feel weight. It's like a ratio between the head weight and the grip weight. Um, some things can be light and feel heavy just because of that ratio or, or vice versa. So that's something that these days we don't spend tons of time on. I think the manufacturers are really good about working that stuff out. Um, so grip also, we're going to fit for the grip. Grip's important, very important. You know, that's another feel thing, size of the grip, design of the grip. Um, and then also probably the one that's most important as we talk about level one, level two, level three players is just the set makeup slash gapping of the set. So that's going to take us in, in that meaning, what clubs do I need? How far do they go? What do I need them for essentially? So that kind of takes us into level one player here. So level one player, when you look at that player, this is someone who's just learning the game. Contact is no question their biggest consideration. We, we're going to hit that nail over and over and over again. Contact, making good contacts is a big consideration. So beginner golfers tend to, and I'm not saying this is bad thinking. I'm just saying I, I want to get, offer a different thought, tend to potentially end up with some type of hand-me-down club or cut-down club or beginner set that's not custom fit. You know, some type of bargain set that's not custom fit. I'm going to get those. They're a little less expensive. That way I'll know if I like the game or not. And then I'll decide from there. Rob, do you see any problems with that sort of line of thinking? Huge issue. Huge issues. Because if that is your strategy now, as a lo- again, as a level one golfer, you know that your dispersion across the face is going to be the biggest. So... Why on earth are we putting clubs in our hands that are, get, are that are penalizing us for those contact errors? Yeah, you got right? it. So, so for me, the the level one golfer has to have the most forgiving club head, which can be the most expensive. But we're gonna talk, tell you a little bit of why total price wise, it doesn't have to be the most expensive for you. Correct. So. A few, I would say, I don't know how many years ago this was. It was a significant amount of time ago. Because um, I, I, in my role at a big club, I teach lots and lots and lots of beginners. Mostly ladies in these groups. I mean, it, tend, it tends to be, but not always. Um, and a lot of kids. So kids are a little bit different than adults. So let's just talk about adults. But if you end up with a with a starter set that's not good quality, now there's some very good quality starter sets out there. And if I'm if I'm a sort of standard size lady, standard speed, I can get away with that. So I'm not saying they're all bad. I don't want I don't want you to think that I'm saying that because I don't think that's true at all. But if I'm if you're coming to me and saying, Eric, what should I do about getting clubs? Here's what I'm going to tell you. Number one, your dispersion and repeatability and predictability of your shots is is pretty low. Let's just call it what it is as a beginner golfer, right? So I don't need, I don't need tons of clubs in my bag. 
Also, I probably don't hit the driver much further than 150 yards at most, maybe sometimes shorter than that, sometimes longer than that. And then so then I don't need tons of clubs anyway. So what I end up doing is I fit them for a really good driver that's very forgiving. Um, That's, to me, most important. Then we're going to work really hard on trying to find a club, whether it be a hybrid or a fairway wood, that they feel really comfortable hitting second shots with. Then we're going to get maybe three irons and a sandwich. That's it. Okay? And there could be 20, 30-yard dispersions between them. Doesn't matter. Here's Does why. Does not matter. Does not matter because they're not hitting it consistently enough probably to find that result. And what I tell them every single time is if you get to the point where you say, Eric, I, I've got this big gap that I'm, I'm dealing with now because you got me a seven and a nine iron, but I'm feeling like sometimes I need an eight. I'm like, awesome. We're getting better at golf. Let's order you an eight iron. Yep. Right. So that's our telltale sign that we're improving. So I am, you know, for the fitters out there, for you out there, I do this a lot with Ping. Again, I'm going to give Ping some props because Ping a lot of times will keep sort of the last year's iron in their line, right? So this year was G425. Um, And once I get a few, Ping will always make that club for me, right? If I give them the serial number, they can always match it up and make a new club. So. That's something we can fill in a little bit less price than the brand new one in the series, but it also is something I can fill in, backfill later for the student. And I've never want, and it's, by the way, the most important thing is it helps them hit the ball more consistently. So now if I'm, if I'm going to Dick's and getting a Walter Hagen set or something and I'm hit a little on the toe and it just is a terrible shot versus hitting, you know, a Callaway Rogue ST Max that, I catch a little toe on the toe, and that ball flies long, eye and straight still. I am more likely enjoying the game and playing it better and likely staying in the game longer, right? Here you go. Not quitting it, because that's a lot of times what gets people to quit this game is they just find it to be too tedious and too hard. So if you get a few clubs, the investment is still kept minimal because you're not, you know, you don't have to buy 14 clubs. And then it, it helps you down the road. And I would say as the last order of business is that, when they ask me about putter, I say, hey, go find one in a closet. You live with golfers? There's putters laying around. Like, we can, <laughs> we can figure this out. Go, go to Goodwill yes. and find one. Yeah. Let's save money on the putter because, It's you not know, relevant to your scoring anyway. <laughs> you got it. Like, as we laid out in epi- the last episode, it's not relevant to scoring. So, um, level one player, get a few clubs that are really good that you can hit drivers probably, in my opinion, the most important gets you – Get you going. Level one players are driver, long second shot, long second shot, you know, nine or wedge, you know, putt. So you don't yep. need you don't need tons of club. Anything you wanted to add there with the level one player, Rob? No, I think you hit on it perfect. Um, what? Just curious, what irons do you typically gravitate them towards? So um, it's been you know there's been some really really good ones recently. Um, the Ping GLE two set, that purple set that's been in the yeah. line for they kept it in the line forever. I, mean, I would say that's like been four years. You heard years. about the new GLE three stuff yet? I, has, I, has your Ping rep been by? Um, I've sold some already. <laughs> so I've already fit oh, some and sold yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, um, fit some last week. So GLE, the thing I like about GLE is it's so light. They have that ultralight so light, and it's so easy to hit in the air. And the other thing that they do which I think is just awesome, is that Ping, if you order a combo set that has hybrids and irons, 
they give you the same price on the hybrid as they do on the iron, which is a very big discount. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can make that combo set work really, really well on that GLE. Um, So that's, that's really, really good. The, the Callaway um, rogue uh, irons from last year were really, really good. That max OS light um, for the ladies. And now they've got the big Bertha iron um, out again, which is awesome. It's almost like a, it's almost like a hybrid build. They're not, inexpensive you know everything's going up in price these days but um i've had a set last week that i fit that that iron's pretty new it's been out maybe maybe a month or so um Mm. very very hot very high launching very forgiving and then what about like set makeup is is my my next question is do you kind of get in the weeds here but do you prefer six eight like a six eight pitching wedge kind of thing or like a seven nine and then like a u wedge type of deal I tend to go seven nine sandwich, so it's typically going to be yeah. It's going to typically be like <laughs> yeah. driver, whatever we find that you can hit. You know, it might be a seven like wood, driver, it might be a five, five wood, hybrid, yeah, it might be a three, four, or five hybrid. Like we're going to find that second shot club. A lot of times, it's a four hybrid. To be honest, with the shorter shaft mm. and like they can make some good contact with it. And then to me, it's seven nine sandwich. Boom, we're done. That's totally. It. Completely agree, um, and that works out. That works out really well. So with it's men, still level two. Yeah, man. I was gonna say one last thing is there. Men would hit it a little bit further, so they might need a little bit more in that set as a beginner. You know, just because of the total. You know, when you yeah. break out a driver that goes two twenty versus one fifty, yeah, you might need to add in something, but it's still and that's, very minimal. And that's one point that needs not be lost as well is that just because you're averaging eighty nine does not mean that your ball striking is level one. You can have a level two ball striking, but have like beginner level one short game putting, which puts you in that level one category. So we don't want to make too big a blanket statements on this and say, okay, well, if your scoring average is higher than 88, then you need five clubs. That's that's absolutely not what we're saying. Yeah. What we're saying is that if you're picking up the game, if you're a beginner golfer and your ball striking is such that – Again, looking at shots to green, you're going to be up in that level one category. You really don't need more than kind of what we're saying. But like I said, if if your ball striking is closer to level two, but you're putting your short game or something like that, it's kind of keeping you level one, then that might be a different story. Correct. Yeah, correct. So everybody's a little bit different. There's no blanket. We, right. we can make correlation, but there's no blanket. You know, obviously people, people are a little bit different. Yeah. Good point. So level two player. Um, as we go into level two, this is where most golfers live. So probably if you're listening to this, you're likely, you're likely in this It fits inside the bell curve, but you would know too, if you're shooting 88 to 77, somewhere in there, the contact issues for you are very real still. Okay. You are not flushing that ball out of the middle of the club face every time and controlling that ball flight. So, you need to have, and this is this is where I think the the fitting, coaching sort of relationship really comes into play. Because I will tell you that I think any time that a level two player gets fit and they end up with a club that they don't like, this is the reason why most of the time it's because they get fit for some club that works really well when they hit it well. Okay? So... 
you're comparing two clubs and you got it's down to the your tailor made your callaway or whatever you put them up there and you got the shaft you got all this and the and the fitter got it up there and the track man and bam you hit man i hit that one you know 10 yards longer and it was awesome um problem being we're only looking at the good ones okay so w- with a level two player there's a lot of bad ones still you know or less than good ones we should say there's a whole range of outcomes that are happening so we need clubs, especially the driver, that work when I hit it well, and they also minimize the negative results of my bad hits. And those two things in a fitting situation do not always collide with one another. They don't. So what we need to see is the club that works best. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, I know you're all waiting with bated breath for the example. Like, Eric, <laughs> tell me, tell me when I would know. Here's an example. This is true. Um, have you have there's some lines of clubs that are out um, that they've made them very, 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 very light. Okay, and that works well. I mean, there's certain players that those super light 30 gram shafts um, can work really well. Now, the people that end up not liking those, um, and and I've seen this with another just a shaft called the Autoflex shaft as well, um, is that when they when they line everything up right and time it, they get some energy out of that thing that makes it go. Okay, wow, I just crushed that one. However, when they don't time it right and it's it's a whip, a very very whippy club, um, it can be a pretty big miss hit. Have you seen this with these with these whippier clubs, Rob? Have you, have you noticed that? Yeah, the Autoflex I think is what you're referring to. We don't want to. <laughs> um... Put, put a certain company out to dry here. But yeah, yeah, I've definitely seen the same thing. All I'm saying is there's there's certain things that you have to be careful. That club, uh, work, I mean, I have many people that say, oh my gosh, this is the best thing that's ever happened. I hit it great. And I say, do you hit it? Hit them all great. So there's, it works for people. But what I'm saying is you can go into a fitting and hit a couple out of 10 that were just like, oh my, that's, you know, 20 yards longer, right? But then the miss hit is way worse. Okay, that can happen. Now, that's not the only example of this, but that's that's one example, right? So um, we want to make sure that you get a club that you hit through that whole dispersion. So when you're getting fit, you should see up on your track, man. Um, you should see all the shots you hit. And what I'll typically do is that I'll actually eliminate from the data set the best one or two and the worst one or two, okay, to clear mm-hmm. the data up, right? And yeah, why would, oh, you're going to eliminate the best one or two? Yeah, I'm going to eliminate the best one. And if I want to eliminate the bad, I'm going to eliminate. Just try to look at the data a little bit more clearly that way, right? Um, especially if I get a pretty good. Now, that's not if I'm hitting ten balls. That would be twenty or more shots. I would do that on. So, um, just to try to try to clear the data up. So, also when you talk about set makeup, this level two player now likely hits the ball a lot further than they did as a level one player. But otherwise, you wouldn't be scoring a lot better. So. The gapping and the set makeup becomes more important because your ability to control the ball improves better. You're predicting your distances better. And so now you need to know, like, how, how many wedges do I need? You know, what are my hybrid versus fairway wood situation? Um, and, and it's likely that you're using three or more wedges at this time. So the wedges and wedge fitting for the variety of shots that you play around the green because proximity to the hole is now becoming a much, much bigger more important thing for you as you're trying to become a level one player is that you've got to have wedges that really work for all kinds of variety of situations and shots, um, as well as now putters become much more more important 
um, and you're going to want to probably get fit for that putter as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think biggest mistake I see for level two golfers, if we can just stay on the short game, is for getting wedges that are too much towards the extreme one direction or the other. Um, again, for, for our level three golfers, they're dealing with big fluctuation, big fluctuations in conditions, and they want to make um, th- make sure that the wedge is, is built and designed for the specific t- conditions that they're going to play. Um, whereas for, for level two, you just need something that is middle-of-the-road bounce, middle-of-the-road grind. You don't need to, to look too deep into it. Um, I know some club company or some companies will talk about how your angle of attack determines the grind that you need. I, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, just know that again, in most cases, a eight to 10 degree bounce wedge with a little bit of toe, a little bit of heel, heel relief is going to be more than enough. Uh, and then just make sure that your distance gapping is, is reasonable. I, I like six degree to four degree gaps um, in terms of our, our wedges. Uh, don't go any more than, than six, in my opinion. So to give a kind of a picture of a fitting that may play out, let's say you're a level one player and you come to me and you have no clubs and you say, um, I need I need sneak clubs to get going. That fitting is going to take an hour, probably, probably less than an hour, right? I'm going to measure your wrist of floor yep. and your height. It's going to give me a jumping off point. We're going to test a few iron heads. We, we kind of know what head you're going to get as far as design goes. We're going to test the main brands to see which ones you like the best. The shaft's going to come pretty – I mean, there are not going to be tons of options in the lighter shafts, right? So you put it all together. You figure out which driver works. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Like the GLE, it only has one loft, right, on the driver. So everyone's getting an 11 degree. Like that, that fitting goes pretty quickly. Not because we're not trying. It's just because that's all you need. Okay. If level two player comes to me and says, Hey, I want to trade out my whole back, which happens. This happens to me several times a year. Um, that fitting is going to play out over probably four hours. Okay. Over four separate. So typically what I'll do is I'll try to get the irons and the driver done first. If I can get that done in that first probably hour, sometimes we don't get all the way through that. Um, and then they're going to, I'm going to order them. I'm going to get those clubs in. Okay. They're going to get them in their bag and then I'm going to fit their wood gap. Okay. Potentially the wedges at that same time. But when I'm fitting wedges and they're trading all that out, I'm going to spend at least 30 to 45 minutes just in the short game area, hitting all the different shots um, with the wedges. So those are probably two separate. And then if they do a putter, which isn't always the case in that, you know, a lot of times people just keep their putter. If they do a putter fitting is a whole nother, you know, probably 30 minutes to an hour. So you can see the difference in the considerations there between the time that it should take for you to get all those uh, things done. So level two player, just to kind of summarize, you hit it better, but you still don't hit it great all the time. You need clubs that help you out on your bad shots and also really work well on your good shots because you're seeing a higher percentage of those. Um, gapping is a big deal. You want to make sure that you have the right clubs in your wedges and your hybrids and your fairway woods um, and in your long irons. 
And then, you know, the wedges and putter are just always a consideration there that you need to, to get fit so that you have those skills in the short game area to be able to accomplish the stuff that you need. If you are trying to become a level three player, meaning I can't miss the green inside of 30 yards, I've got to make really good shots and hit it close to the hole so I can start to get the ball up and down a much higher percentage of the time. So that kind of takes us to, through level two. And now level three is going to be really fun to talk about because, in my opinion, Rob, this is a whole different story. A whole um, different ballgame. Yeah. It, it's interesting because if you're a level three player, you probably haven't tuned in much to this episode, and I'll tell you why. Because if you've gotten to the point where you shoot 76 or better, you are very, very in tune with your equipment already. Yes. And you have been through fittings. You know what you like. You know what you play well. You're probably a little bit of a geek when it comes to equipment stuff in a good way. Um and as you get into the higher levels of elite and tour player, um, you're, you're obsessed with equipment. I mean, you, you probably lay in bed, you can't sleep at night, you're thinking about your, your equipment. 100%. Um, so that's kind of how that goes. Obviously, in level three, optimization of all your equipment is important, and it's for the conditions that you're currently playing. Like yes. you and I were talking about, like, you know, those guys are trading out, depending on if you're playing... If you're playing in firm Bermuda grass conditions versus playing in wet bent grass conditions versus playing, you know, in the British Open and firm windy, I mean, it is just total different um, fitting, you know, characteristics that you'll need out of your equipment, stuff that you'll demand from your equipment. And so those guys are all, guys and gals are always working on trying to optimize the stuff they have for the event that is right in front of them. Absolutely, yeah. Couldn't agree more. So so let's talk about, again, if we're talking about level three, let's start with putter. Love it. Level three golfer. What's important for a putter fitting? So the the putter has to be here's, – here's what I think with the putter, okay? So it's hard to make hard generalizations about great, great putters and what they need, right? Because I would think that some of the stuff you're going to say is, well, putters need great putters need this, and then some great putter would say, "No, Eric, you're completely wrong about that." Right? Um, but what I what I would say is, if I, if if a really really good putter, really really good player is coming to me for a putter fitting, it's that's a pretty interesting thing because number one, I use Sam Putt Lab as I know you do. My biggest thing is this: I need them to be able to aim it really well. Okay, I need them to be able to optically look down at the putter. Feel like they're standing over it with the proper. We use the term geometry, but it's, that's where the shaft length and the and the lie angle comes in. Like, I've got to get over it into the right posture that feels right to me, with my eyes in the place I like my eyes, and be able to look down and aim the aim the putter really well. And then also, I need to be able to swing the putter with my natural tendencies and be able to roll it down a straight line. Like that is really probably what I'm working hardest on with good players when it comes to putter. You have anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I think the I completely agree with all with everything you said. I think length, um, putter lie can greatly influence aim. I look a lot at toe hang. I know some some folks don't think that there's much to to consider there, but um, toe hang has absolutely been researched to to influence the face one direction or the other. So, if you have a toe hang putter, first things first you need to understand what kind of torque that's going to be putting into your hands. So 
a towing putter, as you swing the club back, is going to be trying to close. And then in transition, it is going to be trying to open the face. Correct. So the people who do best with a toe hang putter are those who enjoy fighting that torque. Correct. So they, let's they get, let's give a visual on that real quick. Yeah. Um, so t- when he says toe hang, if you were to hold your putter on the balance point, like stick your pointer finger out parallel to the ground and put your putter where it just balances perfectly, you'll see that the toe the toe would droop downwards in some yes. angle. Okay. So the most extreme to that would be a full toe hang, which not tons of players play anymore, but that would be like your old blade 8802 style putter, like a Ben Crenshaw style putter, full toe hang. More common now is sort of a partial toe hang or a mid toe hang, yeah. kind of like your Newport style or your answer style putter. Think Tiger Woods. Now, if you think of those two of the best putters of all time, Ben Crenshaw, Tiger Woods, they would be just what Rob's describing here, which is someone that feels the putter. I mean, you can watch them. I mean, they would talk about this. There's a lot of opening and releasing of the putter. And that's um, that's the kind of putter I play as well, myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, this does not mean, and I want to be clear on this, this does not mean the face is going to rotate more. And in many cases, I see the face rotate less with a toe hang putter because, again, there's more of that closing torque in the backswing to, to kind of fight through. And there's a little bit more of that opening torque and transition and into downswing that you're having to fight through. So it's more the feeling of opening and closing the face. So if I were to make a blanket statement in general, I tend to see toe hang putters arrive at impact more open relative to target. So if you have someone who is missing it left, one thing you could do is throw them in a toe hang putter. And because they're that, that torque in the face is trying to open as you're coming down, they're applying the same amount of closing torque, but now the, the putter is trying to keep it open and that face might present a little bit more right again for a right handed golfer. Um, so, Again, definitely if you see like, oh, the toe hang means more face rotation, the the um, face balance means less, maybe from a feel standpoint, but not actual. Just understand how the feels are going to be different. So then when you go to a, to a uh, face balanced, now those are the folks who really enjoy that, that zero opening or closing feel during the stroke. Um, because there's really not much to fight through. And some people, when they get face balance putters in their hand, they, they're trying to create that feel, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I have no idea what's going on. I need some of that um, toe hang to kind of balance against. Um, whereas some people are were like, I don't want to have to fight against anything. Just let me get, get something that I can just um, kind of swing in plane uh, without a whole lot of face twist one way or the other. Um, so I'm a good example of that. I went – um, and spent a little bit of time with this company called Biomec, which has a putting sensor. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and Heath Slocum was kind of like their tour rep. He would travel the tour um, and sort of have it t- tested out. And so he put me on it one day. And um, and I tend to be a good putter. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why I play as well as I do. So I play a Newport 2 style, you know, toe hang putter for the last 20 plus years. So when he put the sensor on me, it kind of gives this reading, this output of like like ranges of 
consistency and accuracy of how you roll the ball off the face. And I was getting tour level, you know, readings off the face. And he's like, wow, that's really good. Like, that's really good. And then he put me into a, a face balance, like a mallet, like a spider putter. Okay. And every putt I hit was dead left. I mean, straight left off the face. And I yeah. was like, it was, it was amazing. So I think that as you get into this level of player, because putting becomes such a huge consideration, yes. the thing is, what we're saying is not that there's a right answer here. Although, I will say that there's some top, top putting coaches in the world that actually do think there's a right answer here and have said, hey, I don't like this style of putter. I don't like that style of putter. Um, I don't think that's the case because you can see really, really good putters um, use a variety. I think last year was the first year – that more mallet sort of, if it's a mallet, it's likely a face balance, although not always, if it could have a little bit of toe hang. But last year was the first year that more mallet putters than blade putters were played on the PGA Tour. Wow. Which to me was was pretty um, interesting. I would still say the best putters in the world still use blade putters. I mean, you, you can see some guys who get streaky. Now, Jason Day used the spider and was absolutely all world for a long time. But... Um, you know, if you think about your great putters, the Jordan Spieths of the world and the Cam Smiths of the world and the Tiger Woods of the world, um, and I don't, I don't know who I'm missing there, but many of them are still blade putters. I don't know, I don't know what the there, there's probably no correlation there. All I'm saying is you can you can use both effectively. So if half the tour or more is using a face balance sort of mallet style putter, I'm guessing those guys very in tune to what they're doing. Um, are not using something that's detrimental to how they yeah. feel and how they putt, right? Um, yeah, so watching Rory McIlroy go back and forth between, you know, the spider and the Newport putter, um, that was a little surprising, right? Because I, I think that in, in midseason, like leading up to the Masters, that would probably have been a hard hard change to make. But you, Yeah, again, you, like kind of what we're saying is like both can work. You can have the exact same face rotation, exact same – club face presentation impact with both models. It's just your feels required to create that same geometry is going to be different. So for a player of his caliber, switching between feels, like you said, it's interesting. Yeah. So, so putting is incredible. Uh, I, I've got lots of stories about putting, which I'll, which I'll say for another day, but um, the level three player they, like we were saying, they need to optimize their equipment yeah. through changing environments. Um, one thing that's interesting is, and I don't think I mentioned this yet on the podcast, but um, we host a Champions Tour uh, Schwab Cup playoff event at the country club where I work. So I've been lucky. That very first year, we've had it, seven, I think, seven years now. The very first year, I volunteered to run the practice facility operations. Obviously, I'm very comfortable in the practice facility. So for seven years, I've got to spend that time on the range with the players, caddies, and coaches, which is really, really fun for me. Um, and these gentlemen that I see there, they are so in tune to their equipment. It's unbelievable. And, and this is really early in the week. Obviously they're making their adjustments to their equipment. Um, but man, do they work hard on that equipment and they work hard on trying to get it dialed in and they're tweaking this, they're tweaking that they're hitting 20 different driver heads and shaft combinations on a given day. Um, it's, it's really phenomenal. The things that you see them work through, but kind of the point that I was making before, with you before we, you know, earlier in the day when we were talking is like, 
they, I almost believe you can't get to that level of player without being in, that in tune to your equipment. And that's why I right. think that equipment is such an integral piece of your development altogether. Because as you grow with your skill set, your knowledge and understanding of the equipment that you're playing has to grow along with it. And if that growth stunts, then it can be, I'm not saying it will be, but it can be a stunter of your game altogether. And as you continue to learn and continue to grow and continue to understand, you can see how the equipment can work for you. And I was I was telling the story, which it still, as I look back on it, I think it's hysterical, is when, when Phil Mickelson showed up the first time to play our tournament, I mean, he was, he's got his team there, you know, his, his coach, he's got TrackMan, and he's got Foresight, and he's got the Callaway people there, his brother is his caddy, you know, this whole big, like, you know, and on the Champions Tour, you don't see much of that type of stuff, you know, it's like the player caddy, every now coach is there, but, you know, you don't have the team like Phil was bringing to the table, and the Callaway people were there with Phil, and he was really playing the main tour at that time, not the Champions Tour, and he was tweaking his equipment, and he... He looked, he had an iron in his hand. It was probably like a three iron or something that he was testing out. And he, he handed it to the Callaway guy and he said, I need you to bend that a quarter of a degree flatter. And I like almost literally laughed out loud because that's just amazing wow. to me. And I, the guy kind of looked at Phil because I kind of looked at the Callaway guy. I wanted, like I was sort of, like I was standing right there. So. Um, he looked at Phil kind of like you could see his first thought was like, is he kidding me? You know, <laughs> kind of like and then he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got this. You know, there's no way to bend it a quarter degree. I'm pretty sure. Right. OK. But he was like probably going to do whatever he needed to do to make Phil feel like it was there. So some of the stuff that the elite player needs out of their equipment is simply psychological. It's simply like I got to have this comfort zone. I got to know this yes. club can produce for me. In the highest levels of pressure, the highest levels of competition, where I can pull it out and just have trust and faith, right? And I think that's such a big consideration for the level for the three player. What do you think about that? I completely agree. Yeah, they, they've got to have no doubt. They've got to love the club that they've got in their hands. If they're, like you said, if there's if there's doubt, if there's indecision going on, then then that's uh, that's the club not doing its job for sure. Well, Rob, I think we've. Um, I thought we were going to have a short episode this time. I said, I think this will be a short one. I, I think I was wrong about that. <laughs> As I yeah, we, even, we didn't even scratch the surface, right? So we could have gone more into like level three wedge play, level oh, three yeah. irons, and, and driver, and kind of what what considerations they have for for those types of clubs. But I think that what with this group of listeners, you're probably not going to have much. I mean. If you're a level two player and you're trying to get to level three, those considerations out of those clubs, like the driver, the driver is going to maximize distance most of the time. Um, the the forgiveness consideration lowers a little bit, right? They're they're going to be playing yep. lower spin heads. The center gravity of that club is your center mass is going to be closer to the face, which probably gives it slightly less forgiveness and a little bit lower or a little bit higher. Um, and so. Really, what they're trying to get out of that is distance for the most. Now, there's there's differences. I mean, obviously, Bryson DeChambeau's driver considerations and Bernhard Langer's are going to be different, right? But generally speaking, they make such great contact with the ball. It's more about, am I getting this in the right trajectory window that I like to see? Is it is it hitting the curvature ball flight that I like? Um, that's really what they're trying to – and then obviously going – 
hopefully a maximal distance, right? With with not as much consideration to, oh man, if I miss it, what's it going to do? And I love they right. I love they show that on the commercials. Like, hey, check this out. Like, Scotty Schiffler hit it on the toe. Like, okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> and then obviously the irons. The iron design for them is really to maximize their skill shot when it's talking about producing shots into the green, right? So they need to hit a certain peak height and a certain spin rate that's going to give them a land angle out of the sky that they know they can control the ball and get it to stop with a proximity. Because we go back and think, I've got to hit the ball inside 20 feet as often as I can. I mean, it's not the key metric, right? So I can't have an iron that... You're not going to see players' distance irons on the PGA Tour probably because they don't spin the ball enough, okay? You're not going to be able to get the ball to stop into those firm, fast greens in a way that's going to give you that proximity that you're looking for often enough, right? Yeah, almost almost certainly inside six iron, you're probably almost never going to see it. So as you're, as you're a level two player and you're thinking about, am I ever going to get to level three? Think about these things as, as like in your training and in your thought process. Like, am I going to be able to get to that point where I can control the ball that way, right? Speed becomes, again, we said this last time, speed becomes the major factor here. If I can hit the ball with the speed that I can, you know, that I need, I can produce those high spinning shots, the ones that I control, the tighter dispersion patterns, the more distance off the tee so I can play shorter clubs into the green and, again, work that proximity with a shorter club in. So I want to say thank you, Mr. Fails. I think that was a pretty fun episode. Um, Like I said, equipment isn't the most interesting thing we're going to talk about, I don't think, but... It is one that is very important. I think we laid those reasons out. It's hard to get from one level to the next without the type of equipment that's going to facilitate your growth as a player, facilitate those skills that you need that we're sort of laying out each each episode between what you need to accomplish, what, what do you need to master to get to the next level. And then also, hopefully, you took a few tips away if you are getting fit. Um, some of the generalizations, like if you're, if you take lessons, hopefully you do from a, from a good instructor or coach that you trust. Um, if they fit clubs, I would try to have them fit you. I mean, I think that seems to make most sense. Um, if that's not the case, there's plenty of other good fitters out there, but remember you need to advocate for yourself. What do you need from your set makeup? What kind of shafts do you really need? What kind of heads do you really need? You should know and understand that going in because you need to be in control of that. And the more you understand that, the likelier it is that you're going to improve at this game all the way to the tour players who are absolutely fanatical about their equipment. So I'd like to say thanks again, Mr. Fails. Thank you to the listener. If you like our show, please follow us. Um, like us, subscribe to the channel, share it with your friends. If they need golf interventions, um, we're going to keep coming at you. And uh, I think that's all I have for today. Anything you'd like to add, Rob? That was fun, Eric. Thanks uh, Thanks so much for sharing. I know I learned a few things for sure. And uh, look forward to talking with you next time. Awesome, my friend. Take care. Until next time. Cheers.